If you would open up your copy of God's Word this evening to Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to pick back up in our study of Proverbs. Really up until this point, Solomon has just been extolling the virtues of wisdom, saying over and over again, this is how valuable. Son, listen, this is how valuable wisdom is, and this is what it'll do for you. But now he's going to specifically aim at one really significant issue of life, a major issue and, and really, though not as much for everyone all the time, a significant um, issue of life, and will encourage his son to employ godly wisdom as he addresses this role or part of life. I want to tackle this whole fifth chapter together this evening as it really deals with one subject. So I want to read it in your hearing. And then we'll make our way through, but obviously not word by word, but really thought by thought. Proverbs chapter 5, and again tonight I'm reading from the New King James. It's very similar. I put them side by side, a little difference, but not much. Here God's Word says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion, and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman, King James is strange, foreign woman, her lips drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell, Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, that immoral woman. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your ears to the cruel one, lest aliens... Foreigners, strangers be filled with your wealth, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed, and say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Now verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains, verse 16 is really a question, should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is called in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go 
astray. One of the great things about preaching verse by verse through entire books of the Bible is that it forces us to address some subjects maybe we would rather avoid. One of the worst things about preaching verse by verse through books is that it forces us to address some things we would rather avoid. Tonight, I want to speak on the thought of, from Proverbs 5, sexuality governed by wisdom. I want us to think about viewing sex or sexuality through the lens of wisdom. Would you agree with me this evening that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness? Say? That includes Proverbs 5 and the somewhat sensitive subject that is there. Please understand, friends, the Bible is far from silent about human sexuality. Proverbs has much to say about it. Chapter 5 is not all we're going to say. This is only part of what we are going to say about this. But we live in a world, a culture, that is obsessed with sexuality. In this confused culture of ours, we need to learn and live the wisdom given to us by God about this issue so we might rightly enjoy and not destroy this blessed gift that God has given man and woman in the covenant of marriage. Look at our society. Sexual sin is everywhere. Promiscuity is rampant. There are quite literally apps for your phone and websites in which you can sign up when you want to hook up. Fooling around, having a fling, infidelity is all too common in our culture. The old preachers used to say it was a sin to shack up together. We prettied that up and slapped a little kinder label on it and call it cohabitation. But the Bible still calls it sin. And there are sadly some who are involved in that and yet members of a church that refuse to address that sin in the lives of their members. Hearing of someone, and listen, we're going to talk about this, not from an ivory tower where I stand sinless above others, but from what God righteously demands of sexuality. It is no shock to us at all when we hear of a young person out of wedlock 
that is sexually active or that is promiscuous or a young lady that ends up pregnant. That is not, just doesn't shock us anymore. In fact, I think we're probably more surprised by chastity than we are by promiscuity. It's almost rare. I'm going to be candid for two virgins to get married anymore. I mean, that would be rare. Are we any better off because of our homes, our nation, our society, our culture? Are we better off because of the sexual revolution? The theme of many books, movies, songs, and TV shows is sex. We are a society saturated in sex. We are infatuated with infidelity. Friends, we need to see this through the lens of godly wisdom. What does God have to say about this subject? Proverbs 5 is all about this subject. So this evening I want to make five divisions within this, within this chapter about sexuality governed by wisdom. And Solomon really deals first with the negative side of it. So I want you to notice with me first where sexual sin leads. First, where sexual sin leads. Verse 1 just opens up again with a father pleading with his son. And can I just say, don't you think Solomon was an authority on the subject he's writing about and what it cost him? Think about his promiscuous lifestyle. Verse 1, my son, please listen to me. Pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to me that you may preserve discretion, that you can live a godly, righteous, pure life. Hear what I'm saying to you. And that your lips may keep knowledge so that you, you would have Godly instruction, not just in your heart, but ready to come out of your mouth when temptation comes. In verse number 3, 4, and here's why, son, this is why I'm pleading with you, because you're going to face temptation. It was not only true of a prince, a future king, but it's true of every single person on the planet that's a normal functioning human, we're going to deal with a desire and, and really a God-given desire for sexuality. But that must be managed and governed by what God declares to be right and good and by wisdom. And so it's not a matter of if we face temptation, but when we face temptation... Solomon is saying, son, be ready for the lips of an immoral woman. King James, I'm pretty sure there, says strange woman. Uh, it just, the word just simply means different or another, foreign. You want to know what it really is? Someone that is not your spouse. That, that's exactly what it means. 
And so don't get the idea that this is only applicable to men. Solomon writes to his son primarily, candidly, men deal with this, I think, I think more than women, but I don't know. I'm not a woman. But men, I absolutely deal with that, with the thoughts of their mind. I, I have heard more than one older Christian gentleman say, I can't sin in the body like perhaps I could at one time, but I still struggle with my mind. So whether you're 17 or 70, this is going to be something for everyone. For the lips of a strange woman. And it's interesting, really, in verse number two, he says, son, I want you, your lips, to keep knowledge because you're going to face the lips of a, of a, a moral woman. When she says things that entice you, you need, to, you need to sound back with wisdom, godly instruction. She's going to have things that sound smooth and are tempting, and you need to be able to stand back and say, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will set no wicked, uh, no wicked thing before them. You, you need to be able to say, God's word says, flee fornication. But the lips of an immoral woman, notice this, this figurative language, drip honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. Her words sound so good, so flattering. Listen to this immoral woman tempt. Oh, you're so handsome. Oh, you're so much nicer to me than my husband is. Oh, you're so good to me. Whatever it is. And listen, just so we're clear, when we're talking about sexual sin, this is not limited to adultery. What Solomon is addressing goes well beyond that. It deals with extramarital sex, it deals with premarital sex, it deals with same sex, it deals with pornography, it deals with fornication. In fact, that word fornication is just a broad word that covers all sexual sin. And Solomon is saying, son, I want you to see where sexual sin leads, no matter what kind it is. Regardless of what kind of sexual sin that it is, see where it leads. She may look good. She may sound good. She may smell good. But let me tell you, Solomon says about this immoral woman, verse 4, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. That's just an, an ancient shrub that, that produced an incredibly bitter taste to it. We read about that in Revelation. You're probably familiar with that. But, and she is sharp as a two-edged sword. Listen, she will cut you to pieces. If you yield, if you give in, if you give yourself to her, it may sound tempting. It may promise joy, but in the end, it will lead to bitterness and self-destruction. Sexual sin will lead ultimately to emptiness 
and self-destruction. Now, don't, don't give up on me because there is grace and forgiveness, and thank God for that. There is grace and forgiveness. It is, I, I don't think that it is really profitable for me as a husband or a pastor to drag all of my past baggage into the pulpit. You understand what I'm saying? But I haven't always been the man I am. I am not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I was either. 23 years married to this wonderful woman, faithfully committed to each other in a wonderful monogamous relationship, but I've not always been that guy. So I'm not looking down on anybody with condemnation. I'm simply saying godly wisdom should govern our sexuality. When you don't, you need to know what it's going to cost you. You better know where it's going to lead you. Verse 6 says it. she don't even know where she's going. You don't understand. You think about yielding to her. She doesn't even know, and you don't know the ugly end of this path. There are consequences, both temporal and eternal, to refusing to yield your sexual desire to biblical principles and godly wisdom. There are consequences to it. Notice with me, secondly, in verses 7 through 11, what sexual sin cost. We saw where it leads, leads away from God and into destruction. But here's what it cost. Verse number 7, therefore, again, Solomon pleads, hear me now. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. In verse 8, in the most candid language, verse 8, Stay away from that temptation. Remove your way from her. Don't go near the door. Avoid sexual sin. Flee from fornication. Son, don't ignore me. I realize that our society thinks that we are so antiquated about our views of sexuality as Christians, but ultimately they're the ones, this world is the one that has a skewed view of sexuality, thinking that is going to bring them felicity and happiness and fulfillment, and it won't. It won't. Sexual sin will not deliver it what it promises. It doesn't. If you are if you're like me and have something of a checkered past, you can say it never delivers the promises. It would be foolish. I don't want to get too far far ahead of myself, but it would be foolish for us to stand here, sit here this evening, and say that there isn't delight in intimacy even outside the confines of marriage. Now, just to be honest, intimacy, sexuality, is pleasurable. It is enjoyable. God gave that to us as a gift. But for it to be right and honorable and truly fulfilling, it must be confined within the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. Anything outside of that is sin. 
And we, you know, you, you tell young people today that's wrong, it's immoral. They're like, I don't care. It feels good. Yeah, it may feel good for the moment, but let me tell you where it's going. Let me tell you what it'll cost you. Let me tell you where it will lead you. God knows better about this than we do. We should yield our selfish, lustful, sinful appetite to God's wisdom. And in verse 8, son, just stay away. I heard one old preacher say, I don't know when. Might have even been my father. I don't know. But just some very practical counsel when it comes to temptation and, and, and sexuality. This pastor said, don't put yourself in the situation where you can and you won't. But if you are like a lot of people and you put yourself in that situation, you are probably going to fail. So remove your way. Do not go near the door. Avoid it. Pass by it. In fact, if you go back to the last chapter, he talks about preparing your heart, your mind, your ears, your eyes, everything to to yield to God's wisdom because sometimes it takes all of you to overcome this temptation. Or to make it a little more practical, if we were to contemporize verse number 8, Don't click on that link. Don't open that website. Don't return that text. Don't respond to that flirtatious look or word. Don't go out of your way to see that immoral person, that strange person. Don't go out of your way. Don't make plans to see somebody that's not your spouse. You say, but he's so handsome. I like what one writer said. Yeah, he's a tall drink of toilet water. It's a good way of looking at it. Because if you do, Notice verse 9, 10, and 11. Here's what sexual sin costs. You will give your honor to others, your years to the cruel, lest foreigners be filled with your wealth, your labors go to the house of a stranger, and you mourn at last when your flesh and body are consumed. Now, to many in this world, these warnings in verse 9, 10, and 11 sound like empty threats. But that's only because they're foolish and naive and do not understand the awful power of sexual sin. I think I can say this, and I don't mean to point anybody out, but out of his own testimony out of his own words in verse 11 where it warns against sexual sin maybe ask our good friend Paul Wilson about the cost of yielding to sin think about the homes that have been broken the alimony that's what he's warning of you're going to take your property your goods 
and somebody else is going to get it because you're going to wind up in divorce court. And that wonderful home that you had is now going to belong to somebody else. Someone else is going to be raising your children. You're going to be paying money for this. All for what? For what? I love what Paul Lawrence Dunbar wrote. This is the debt I pay for one riotous day. Years of regret and grief and sorrow without relief. All for what? Child support, emotional, financial, physical, damage. Sexuality is good when rightly confined to the covenant of marriage. One writer compared, and I think very wisely compared, intimacy like a fire. Like a fire. And he said, a fire in a fireplace is good. Or sexuality within the covenant of marriage is good. Monogamous man-woman marriage. One man, you got to tag so many things on in our world today. And in monogamous, one man, one woman, covenant of marriage. A fire in a fireplace like that is good. But when it comes out of the fireplace and the fire spreads, it'll burn your home down around you. It'll burn your house down. Notice with me third, the regret that sexual sin brings in verses 12 through 14. This is the regret. I should have listened. Now, you can look at 12 through 14, but that's exactly... Why didn't I listen? I say this, and it will connect, I think. There is regret that follows sexual sin. There is sorrow and there is shame. And those things are not easily shed of. Even redeemed by the blood, forgiven and made new, it is still hard. Now listen, we live in a depraved, sinful world where some people have been abused, sexually abused, and, and that has led them to a bad understanding or view of sexuality. God have mercy on those. I, I've been at this thing, ministry, long enough to know it's far more common than we want to think. But this is a good gift of God. Sexuality is a good gift of God when rightly enjoyed, when rightly employed. But outside of that, it leads to sorrow, regret, disappointment, emptiness, ultimately disease, sexually transmitted disease. People are, have, have given themselves over and over again. There, there's literally, do you know in our world today, there are ladies, women, I, I shouldn't say ladies, I, I think that's too generous, women who try and get as high a body count as they can and brag about it. And do you understand what I mean by that language? how many sexual partners they can have and boast about it openly. 
And they may think that's going to lead to joy or happiness or fulfillment, but it doesn't. It, it leads to regret and sorrow and shame. Even if they skirt all the way through life and it doesn't bother them, when they stand before the great white throne, there'll be some regret and some sorrow and some shame. How many of us have had said to ourselves, why didn't I listen? Now look at the damage that's been done. Think with me. How many lives have been ruined because of sexual sin? How many homes? How many families? How many ministries? And I say this with great fear. How many ministries? How many churches? What about the lives of those children whose whole world has been turned upside down because mama or daddy would not remain faithful in their covenant commitment to their spouse? How much damage has been done to the kingdom because of sexual sin? Do you remember what Nathan told David? Because of your sin, you have given great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. It is at this moment that I want to stop and just give some thought to this. Many of us in this building, many of you under the sound of my voice, many of you are guilty. Maybe not guilty of physical adultery. Perhaps it is, as our Lord said, you look upon a woman to lust, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. Maybe it has been pornography. Maybe it has been allowing your mind to refuse to bridle the thoughts of your mind and letting your mind go much, much further than whatever it should. I would say to a degree all of us are guilty to some extent of this sin. And we must be careful that we don't think we're beyond that because we are not. But can't you say this evening that although I have failed and I've seen where it has led me, I've seen what it has cost me and I have dealt with the regret of it, I have found forgiveness of my sexual sin in and through the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He never succumbed to sexual sin. I don't want to get into this. My mind, I try to think about things and I try to think about how our Lord was tempted just like we are, yet without sin. He would find, because of His absolute impeccable nature, he would find promiscuity, sexual sin. He would find that repugnant, repulsive. Yet at the same time, he showed mercy to those of us who were guilty. He never yielded to temptation. But have you ever thought about the sin that he bore for me? The things that he didn't do, but I've done. 
the things that he didn't say, but I said. The things that he didn't think, but I have thought. What grace is this? What mercy, what love. That he would die for my sin. He who knew no sin would take upon himself my sexual sin, my and the whole gambit of my sins, but that that he would die for me, would pay that debt for me, though he was not guilty of it. In fact, he's the wise son who perfectly and always obeyed the father, whose life was governed by wisdom, and he was wisdom. And even in this regard, he never yielded. What a savior this is. What a salvation that is that is ours because of Him. What grace, what love, what mercy, what forgiveness is ours that the shame can be removed, the, the regret gone, the, the sorrow can be washed away in the blood of the Lamb. So how do we combat sexual sin? How do we overcome it? I think some of it comes right out of verse 1 and 2, which is obey the law, word, directives of God. See life the way God sees life. See life through the lens of godly wisdom. View sexuality through the lens of godly wisdom. But we have these desires. Is there an outlet? God-given desires. Is there an outlet for them? I'm going to say this, and I'm going to I'm going to say it, and I'm going to move move on. But God has given us sexual desires. They're not bad. They're not wrong. They're only wrong when we act on them outside of the confines of covenant marriage. In creation, God put nerve endings where He did for a reason. Sexuality is not merely about procreation. It is about enjoyment. Sex, sexuality is a beautiful gift from God. So how do we rightly use it and resist sexual sin? How do we rightly enjoy what God has given us, find fulfillment in what God has given us, but not yield to the negative or the wrong? Practically, yes, obey what God has said, but there's some even a more clear and practical way that God has given for us to find an outlet for this God-given desire. And there's a transition between verse 14 and 15. Verse 14, I was on the verge of ruin. <laughs> so what do I do? And there's a transition now to positive instruction, positive command. So fourthly, notice with me the fulfillment godly sexuality provides. In verses 15 through 19, the fulfillment that godly sexuality provides. Now I'm going to give you a summary sentence, very brief, concise Summary sentence of verses 15 through 19. 
enjoy intimacy and often with your spouse and only your spouse. I, I tried to encourage some of my co-workers today to come and listen to this and bring your wives. But, but nonetheless, I actually asked Pat, I said, are you going to be here tonight? Are you working? Because I said, this might go a little better if you're here. And I'm thankful for it. But listen, enjoy intimacy and often with your spouse and only your spouse. Look at verse 15. Drink water from your own sister. Now, do you think Solomon is literally talking about walking outside to your sister and getting a scoop of water? No, this is symbolic language. This is figurative language. Drink water equates to be intimate. Have sexual relations. But notice this, from your own sister, your spouse, your spouse. And I think the language of running water means often and frequently. And this is God's design. You can read over in the New Testament that a husband and a wife are not to defraud one another. That is, you're not to deny sexual intimacy from your partner. I hate I have to clarify that. Your covenant marriage partner, you're not to deny that from them. Paul writes to Corinth and says, except it's for a short season and that, that you could give yourselves to prayer and fasting. So God's design is that you and your spouse would be intimate. And frequently. How frequently? Often enough. That's all I'm going to say about that. Often enough. One man, one woman, husband, wife for life, enjoying each other. And in verse 16, it's not the easiest language. I'm going to tell you what I think it means, verse 16 and 17. I really think it's talking about bearing children. Verse 16, should your fountains be dispersed abroad? I think that's just about procreation, having children. And I think he is saying here, and there's a little discrepancy between the King James and the New King James here, but I really think in verse 16 he is saying, neither you or your spouse should be fathering or mothering children that didn't come from anyone except your spouse. I know that's old school, right? I know that's old school. Or in other words, keep yourself from sexual sin and having kids that aren't yours and your spouses. Verse 17 and 18 is, is, is Solomon saying, if you'll remain faithful, you can expect God to bless you with children. Verse 17, let them be only your own, your children, and not strangers, not to have procreate with strangers, and let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Women shouldn't play the harlot. Men shouldn't be womanizers. We shouldn't father children outside of marriage. You shouldn't birth children outside of marriage. Instead, man, woman, husband, wife should stay true to each other and God will bless that union with streams and fountains of little ones. 
And again, not all of us can look back over our lives and say, I've done what I should. Many of us have not. Again, that's where God's grace intercepts our lives. And that's where God's grace forgives us and changes us. And I'm one of these that believe if God's forgiven you, you ought to forgive yourself over that. You really should. It's not to be a yoke of bondage over your shoulders all of your life. i got to stop for just a minute. Give me a few more minutes. I know it's Wednesday, but I want to remind you, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Or, this is a book about wise living. This is about viewing life the way God views life. It is about living in a way that honors God. And what He is instructing us here, drink water from your own cistern. Be intimate and do it. Do that often. This is godly wisdom for life. This is how to have wisdom from above for life below by yielding or giving in this way. In other words, friends, God isn't trying to keep us from having fun. God isn't trying to keep us from enjoying ourselves. Instead, we have here sage counsel. Sage counsel that will lead to the betterment of society and really the betterment of our homes, but individually, true fulfillment of our God-given desires. Doing what God has said. And that wisdom includes verse 19. Verse 19. As a loving deer and graceful doe, tell your spouse, you are just as pretty as a ten book or ten point book. Ten point. You just as pretty as a ten point book. Boy, isn't that romantic language? <laughs> Obviously, again, that's symbolic language. In that Middle Eastern culture, uh, a harp, doe, deer, whatever language it is, right there, were graceful, elegant beautiful and that's how men that's how you should view view your spouse it may sound a little bit foreign to us but listen i'm just going to read and you do what you want to do but you just the, the book says what it says verse 19 let her breasts satisfy you at all times her bosom not anybody else's which means, ladies, you should share that with your spouse and not others. I, I, I'm a preacher. I, I'm a Christian. But I'm also a man. And when I see women with these low-cut stuff, cover it up. Take that home and share it with your husband. And only your husband. I don't need to see that. Verse 19. Listen. Always be enraptured. Ravished, I think, is what King James says. You know what the word literally means? Intoxicated. Be intoxicated with her love. Just be in love with her. And only her. Be captivated by her. Enjoy intimacy. And that often with your spouse. God created. 
men and women to fit. God created sexuality, not just for reproduction, but also enjoyment. For a spouse, husband, or wife to deny sharing themselves can lead to not only to frustration, it can lead to temptation. God has given us a delightful way for us to enjoy our sexuality. Here's godly wisdom. Here's how to rightly enjoy your sexuality within the confines of marriage. But if you don't do things God's way, fifthly and finally, notice the destruction that sexual sin elicits. In verses 20 through 23. Verse 20 is such a great question. Why would you be, my son, enraptured? That's that same word that is used in verse 19. Why would you be intoxicated by a foreign woman? You've got all you need at home. Why would you do that? Why do this to yourself? What will it lead to? Verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 21. The Lord sees this. The Lord knows this. And the... In the in, in, intimation is that there will be judgment for sexual sin. It needs, in verse 22, it leads to entrapment, bondage. Verse 23, he shall die for lack of wisdom. Can I just do this? The destruction sexual sin elicits. Can I just do this? Think about Samson. Think about Samson. Verse 22, his own iniquities will entrap him. He is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction. And yet, many of us will sit here and say, but that won't happen to me. I heard a very good illustration. It's, it's, it's kind of simple, but it's, it would be as if you were standing here on the ground and you were looking up high at this super long elevated water slide. And you see people getting on the slide and they start their way down, but about halfway, there's a break in the slide. And as these kids climb up and they start down, they fall out and down below there's a mound of bodies. And so you scream out to your child, don't go down the slide, it will lead to destruction. And they, they holler back, but it won't happen to me. It's inevitable. Sexual sin will lead to destruction, both now or certainly in eternity. Let me close with this. Temptation is everywhere, my friends. It's everywhere. Satan is really good at hanging the bait and hiding the hook. Sin will never deliver. Sexual sin will never deliver what it promises. Illicit sexual sin will never satisfy. It will never bring contentment. It will never bring fulfillment. It will leave you empty in the end. Only what God condones can bring satisfaction. God warns us. He warns us right here in Proverbs, a whole chapter, wisdom. He warns us, thou shalt not commit adultery. We should heed this warning. And, my friend, don't walk out of here 
Listen, if the Spirit of God breaks your heart and you need to repent, then you repent. But if you've repented of past sin, don't walk out of here with your head hanging down. You've been washed in the blood and you're forgiven. You are one with Christ. There may be repercussions, lifelong repercussions and consequences of your sin, but you don't have to be covered in shame and guilt when you've been forgiven by the King of glory. God bless you. Thank you.